Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm going to just recount for you, and you honestly might be able to hear it in my voice, um, my past month. When I got Karen Landman on the line, I kind of wanted to impress her with my misery. Karen is a senior health reporter at Vox. She's also an epidemiologist and infectious disease doctor. In the past month, I have had definitely one random upper respiratory infection, strep throat, another upper respiratory infection, which turned into a sinus infection, and pink eye in both eyes, for which I am still wearing my glasses. Oh, God. Am I normal? Do I sound run-of-the-mill right now? (laughs) I mean, you sound miserable, but yeah, otherwise I'd say this is about right. Um, I am guessing, I would bet money, that you have a child in daycare. I I have a child in preschool, so yes, Ah, okay. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So that is a pretty typical story. I mean, for a lot of people, but especially for parents of small children who hang out with other small children, um, they are little cesspools and they just are constantly touching each other's faces. Then they touch you, your face, everything. If you have a small child, you know this dance. The joke that's not really a joke among my parent friends is that we've all been sick since September. But here's the thing. It's not just my parent friends. It seems like just about everyone I know, including a lot of young, relatively healthy people, has gotten sick lately. What I wanted to know from Karen is whether more people are actually sick or whether we're just more aware of it now. I think there are some things that are a little bit different now. One is that we're all just simply so much more attuned to when we are feeling under the weather now. And that's an obvious consequence of COVID. So we're all paying attention to how we're feeling. But there is also uh, a lot of stuff going around. And uh, some of that is also related to the pandemic. So today on the show, no, you are not imagining it. Everyone really is sick right now. And we're going to explain why. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I wanted Karen to take me back to a normal winter. To rewind to what January might have felt like in 2017 or 2018. A cold and flu season without COVID. With just run-of-the-mill regular viruses. What we typically see in a cold or flu season before the pandemic is lots of these sort of random unsexy viruses starting to bump up, causing lots of sniffles and coughs and colds. We'd see RSV starting to rise maybe just at the end of December and then really starting to come down maybe near the end of January or mid-January. And we'd see flu maybe go up around that same time early in the new year and then uh, maybe dip a little bit and then bump back up again as a different strain of flu starts to circulate. So we'd see all of those things really start to bump up around just after the holidays. Now, uh, this year and last year also, what we saw is much earlier in the season, we saw these viruses pick up. Last week of October, I think, when we really started to see RSV take off, flu was also kind of taking off around the same time. And we saw flu peak earlier than ever last year, or at least earlier than ever in the past two decades. Because I have a three-year-old, you know, when, when we take him to the pediatrician, they tend to have a pretty good sense of, like, what's going around our neighborhood, our, our city, et cetera. And when lay people complain, ugh, I'm sick, we just sort of say I'm sick. But I, I wonder, when you look at the data, what are we writ broadly sick with? You've talked through flu, RSV, COVID. Is that it? Are there other things out there? What are we getting? Uh, the CDC does look at the three big ones, the flu, COVID, and RSV, because they are the most important causes of hospitalization. And so we have a lot of pretty good data on what we're seeing among hospitalized people with regard to those kinds of infections. But we don't really know that much about what other viruses are doing, even in the hospital, but especially outside the hospitals, uh, because we just don't track them as carefully. And, hmm. and the data that's out there are just a little bit harder to look at and compare year to year. So, um, you know, CDC does gather some data on many of those viruses. You know, they may be things you've heard of or maybe not, things like adenovirus and rhinovirus and other coronaviruses and uh, paraflu viruses and all kinds of other, uh, you know, usually less severe disease causing viruses that, that go around. I'm hearing from doctors that I talk to who care for people in the hospital that they are seeing more of those this year causing hospitalizations. But I don't have great numbers for you on how bad those are compared with previous years. 
What I would say is it's probably, you know, it's not out of the question that they are up. Uh, it wouldn't be a huge surprise to me to hear that, uh, you know, if you were to measure the number of people getting sick with a rhinovirus this year, even if they're not ending up in the hospital, those are just more of them than there were in years past. And I think that is probably related to just the fact that there hasn't been as much of it circulating over the past few years. And so our immunologic guard against viruses like that is just down. You know, normally you would expect someone like me, parent of a small child, to be sick. You would certainly expect my child to be sick and maybe people who are older or with weakened immune systems. But it feels like there are a lot of otherwise pretty healthy adults sick right now. I wonder if that tracks with what you've seen. Yeah. Disclosure, I am not seeing patients right now. So what, I, what I'm what i seeing is really what I'm hearing from people who are taking care of patients and the data that I'm looking at. But that said, even in my circle of friends, I, I have a few friends who have had some really gnarly colds this season. And I uh, have heard that the flu is uh, of a strain, a particular strain of influenza A that does tend to be a little bit more clinically uh, uncomfortable. But again, I think a lot of this is not even so much about the viruses that are circulating, but about us and about what's been happening to our immune systems over the last few years. Well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about, because there has been so much discussion. In fact, I think I did a version of this story last year as well about the idea that because people did not socialize as much during the peak of the pandemic, our immune systems were not as ready to fight off invaders or that someone like my son, who was born during the pandemic, simply did not have the exposure to be ready to face a lot of germs. How is that now in 2024? Are we still dealing with these immune systems that are not maybe totally ready for prime time? I think that's a very reasonable hypothesis. I don't have data to prove it. But you know, every year since the pandemic began, I think more and more people are adding themselves to the pool of folks getting out and about without a ton of protection uh, for themselves or a ton of protection from other people or from the environments that we're moving around in. And so I do think that every year we'll see a few more people added to that pool of susceptibles and they will have you know, immune systems that just haven't seen these things for a while. Um, or, you know, folks who are pregnant um, and haven't been exposed to these things in a while will have babies who haven't gotten the antibodies from their parent, you know, during pregnancy that they might have gotten during a, a pre-pandemic year. So, yeah, I mean, I think that immunity debt may still be in play, even now that we have had kids back in school for more than a year and adults have been circulating, you know, many, many of us moving around pretty freely without a lot of protections for well more than a year. I want to talk a little bit about perception now because it it is really hard to disentangle whether we are truly getting more sick now or how much more we're aware of it. What do you think? I think we're so much more aware of it. I know so many people <laughs> who um, who now when they have folks over uh, to their homes, turn on uh, an air purifier 
or open a window. Um, and that's just preventive. It's when nobody's sick. And I know I had somebody cancel dinner on me last night because uh, it hurt a little bit to swallow while she was leaving the Costco. And as soon as she got home, she felt fine, but she still didn't want to put anybody at risk. I mean, I just don't know that we would have all been so attentive to how we feel in previous years. And even if we did, if we would have taken action based on that. I mean, I would pay attention to whether I had a cold because it mattered so much to my patients. If I was seeing immunocompromised people in the hospital, I couldn't go in there with even a mild cold uh, without some protections on. So I would put on a mask. Um, and I, you know, I was aware of that, but I, but I'm different, right? I was a I was a practicing physician. I was I was seeing really vulnerable people. I think our sense that we may know people who are vulnerable, uh, who are medically vulnerable. We need to take care of each other and and be more cautious in that way. I think that is something that's in the zeitgeist now, and it wasn't before. And yet, obviously, people have pushed back on that as well, saying, eh, the pandemic's over. This doesn't matter. It's, It's very hard to parse out what behaviors people are following now, because I do see people pushing through colds or others saying, wait a minute, actually, maybe I should stay home now. I, I feel like we haven't quite figured out what the behavioral norms are around being sick. That is a great, <laughs> great point. And I don't really know what the what the answer is to, you know, what are we all doing? I think it varies immensely uh, between you know, regions and different types of social groups. I think you're right. I think it's really hard to pin down what people are doing um, when you don't have, you know, we're not, we're just not really measuring it, I don't think, anymore. It seems like such a simple question to ask why things are worse, but it sounds like the answer is a little bit virus, a little bit us, a little bit policy. Do you think that's right? I do. So I think that one of the big issues here is that we're not using all of these great tools that we have to protect people from the worst of all of these viruses. You know, we have a great COVID vaccine. We have a great flu vaccine. And we now have a great RSV vaccine, right? And yet we're not giving these to the people who would benefit from them most to the degree that we need to be by a mile. Like, nursing homes should be 100% vaccinated for all of these viruses. And yet, they are not. 33% of nursing home residents at CDC's last assessment a few weeks ago were up to date with COVID vaccination. 72% had gotten a flu vaccine and only 10% had gotten an RSV vaccine. Why are we, why are we, it's just and such an embarrassment to me that we are allowing this to happen. These are our elders. Uh, these are our most medically vulnerable folks in the nation. And even though there are rules that say that you should educate and provide around COVID vaccine and flu vaccine to everybody who lives in a nursing home, the punishment for not doing it is barely a slap on the wrist. I mean, when you make it a financial calculation, you know, whether you protect the most vulnerable people from the worst uh, respiratory pathogens in any given cold and flu season, then you're going to see people making money and people dying. When we come back, why we as a country could make this easier, but we haven't. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A lot of this does, in fact, stem, as you have written, from policy choices, right? If you don't have paid sick leave, if you don't have the ability to take time off, people are pushing through having colds. Or, you know, if people are not able to get vaccinated against certain diseases, if they don't have the time, the space, the availability in their communities, they're not doing that. I I would love your thoughts on how policy choices, both at the kind of local and national level, create these kinds of outcomes? I think there are a couple of policy issues right now that are making this a particularly hard cold and flu season to watch for you know, for people in the, in the public health world. A lot of this is around uh, how we care for people in nursing homes. The end of the public health emergency in May meant the end of some things that made it a lot cheaper and easier to get vaccines into the people who live in nursing homes. And this includes not just elderly folks, but also folks with disabilities and folks who can't care for themselves at home for a variety of reasons. We're also not doing a great job vaccinating people against other causes of hospitalization, you know, due to respiratory virus right now. So like influenza and RSV, those other two big ones that are landing people in the hospital, we're doing a much better job of vaccinating nursing home residents for flu, like 72% are currently vaccinated for flu. But we're doing an abysmal job of getting the new RSV vaccine out to those folks, Uh, about 10% right now of nursing home residents have received an RSV vaccine. This is all according to a recent CDC publication. So we're not protecting these folks as well as we could be from all of these really dangerous viruses. We talked about this aspect of sort of baseline immunity, but I'm also curious about our immunities to these different pathogens that are out there floating around. Yeah. So, okay, you had a cold earlier this season, right? And I wouldn't be surprised. Thousands of them. (laughs) You had so many colds. You had all the colds. I wouldn't be surprised if you had RSV at some point um, this year. And I also wouldn't be surprised if, especially given that you've got a a small child, you also had RSV last year. And that's typically the way RSV works. People get it once per season. They have some residual immune protection that lasts somewhere around a year. And then next time they're exposed to it, they might get it again. If RSV immunity lasts a little bit less than a year, then you would expect that you would see cycles of RSV rising and falling in a population about every year. COVID is different. COVID immunity wanes faster. It doesn't last a whole year. It probably doesn't even fully last six months. It lasts closer to something like three to four months. And so when people are vaccinated or exposed to COVID, 
they become vulnerable to having symptoms from a COVID infection next time they get one much sooner than they do when they get an RSV infection or a flu infection or another cold infection. The antibodies just don't hang around as long. So I think that might be why we are seeing COVID recur at this sort of less predictable interval than a lot of other cold and flu viruses do. In a story that you wrote about this, you noted that it could take a while before we get a new baseline of what a normal cold and flu season might look like. Do you have any sense of of when that will be? Nobody has any idea when that is going to be. I asked. I was just, you know, I hate the term the new normal, but I've been asking people like, are we are we there yet? And I think everybody agrees the dust really has not settled, uh, immunologically speaking. And COVID is such an unpredictable animal in the sense that if you look at the sort of increases and decreases of COVID over the last few years, they're not just coming in the wintertime, right? We're seeing them in the summertime, sometimes in the spring. And then the number of months between those bumps seems to vary. So I think that is one piece of the puzzle, in particular, because when in certain regions, COVID goes up, people sometimes do change their behaviors, right? They are a little bit more cautious with their symptoms. They are a little bit less, maybe a little bit less likely to mix in crowds. They might just behave a little bit differently. So I think that may drive some of the unpredictability here. But I do think also there's still some weird population level immune dynamics where we have just not been seeing all of these usual viruses at the same rate that we used to over the last few years. And we're still we're still not there. And so they're still going to hit a little bit different in the coming years as cold and flu season kind of recurs. Karen Landman, thank you so much for talking with me. It is my pleasure. I'm so glad we could do this. Karen Landman is a senior reporter at Vox covering public health. She is also an epidemiologist and infectious disease doctor. All right, that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Anna Phillips, Evan Campbell, and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Paige Osborne. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate, and TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And before we go, I have a little announcement. Back in December, I was diagnosed with lung cancer. My prognosis is great. It was caught very early. I'm going to be fine. But I'm going to take a few weeks off for treatment. You are in excellent hands while I'm gone, and I will talk to you all in March. All right, the rest of the team will be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.